Hello, and welcome to the podcast. Today, guys, we get to sit down and talk with three members of the Baylor Athletic Performance Team. Associate Director of Athletic Performance, Jacob Miller. Associate Director of Applied Performance, Josh Nelson. And Director of Applied Performance, Andrew Althoff. And guys, we're going to sit down and we are going to talk about the program down there at BU. We're going to talk about what's going on right now with them and uh, how May leads into the summer and into the rest of the year. We then get into programming, guys. They, they're really candid in talking about how they progress student-athletes efficiently throughout their career, and they give some uh, specific examples of that. That's, it's pretty cool. Um, then they get into how they look at the school year with football, you know, coming in at camp and, and what each of these phases is. Start sharing uh, some of their training levels and examples of what each of these groups may be doing. They've got like six different groups or levels that they have their student-athletes with uh, out in Baylor, and it's, uh, it's pretty cool to listen to how they break some of those down. They talk about the effect of mood on RPE and training load, and uh, Andrew's brought this up a couple times, you know, about how training in a good mood or practicing in a good mood, things usually work out better. Uh, we talk on, about that for a bit. We get into the black hole theory, which is something that's pretty awesome. And then, uh, you know, we, we kind of finish it up with some examples of, of how their staff plans out the levels and how meetings and everything incorporate into this. It's, uh, it's really an awesome talk, guys. The, the three guys were, were extremely open, honest, and candid with all their sharing. Can't thank them enough for this. I hope you guys enjoyed the talk as much as I did. Let's get right to it. Guys, thanks for spending the time with us today. Uh, if just so people know who we're talking with, can you introduce yourselves here real quick? Yeah, I'm uh, Andy Altop. Jake Miller. Josh Nelson. Well, guys, thanks for spending some time with us today. Let's uh, let's just get right to it. Let's talk about what's going on down there in Baylor. Man, all right. Well, where to start? I think it's kind of a fun time of year for us. We just finished uh, discretionary uh, with the football side of things, um, kind of championship season for our spring Olympic sports. Um, and then we have the CSCCA coming up tomorrow. We'll be driving up for that um, to kind of get that all rolling. And then we, what we like to do as a staff is get a good chunk of our summer planning and organization done in May. And uh, that gives us more time to kind of get away and get fresh and also use the conferences and the things that we're going to to kind of add on as, as we finalize the plan when we get back. So, um, shoot, kind of, like I said, winding down, uh, trying to get recovered, but at the same point, get the, get the wheels turning to make sure we're ready to go for the summer. Awesome, awesome. So let's, um, let's talk about some programming and, and some, some things that you guys are doing down there. Okay. Um, and I think... <clears throat> The thing that, that we've really been talking about a lot as a staff is making sure we're putting the volume and the stuff that we're trying to do, whether it be in the weight room or outside on the grass while we're running our guys, or even if it's a warm-up or recovery, just making sure we're getting the most bang for the buck um, in the time that we have with our athletes. And, and I think really not wasting their time. And I think the athletes will, will feel that when the summer comes around, like whenever we're here, we're gonna be working we're going to be doing things that are putting them in a position to be successful, and I think it'll help them give even better effort than they've already given us, which is which is pretty hard to do. We, we're really proud of how hard our guys work, um, like you know, moving forward. So, you know, I think the volume calculation is kind of cool, um, and really just trying to balance out readiness and preparedness, and really using the summer to educate our athletes on, um, you know, using our our. Uh, dietitian Jana Heitmeyer does a great job and, and her staff 
educating athletes how to eat and recover. We have the bank um, that opened up earlier in the fall, you know, $8 million dining hall, and getting our athletes in here has been huge with, you know, breakfast every day, dinner at night, and, and getting them to eat. And then, again, Jana's always available, Nikki's always available to help educate them on nutrition on the side of things. And I think that's really the biggest thing, you know, even when we presented last year in Virginia, um, uh, you know, it's your place talking about is how important nutrition is, not really – you know, training is big, right? I mean, you have to you have to eat to get bigger and things like we already know, but even nutrition's effect on mood and nutrition's effect on soreness and nutrition's effect on sleep are things that I think really kind of fly under the radar. Like we know we want our, our kids to eat breakfast and we know we want them to have their snacks and all that kind of stuff, but working with them and educating them like why that's important, how it's going to help them, and then I think that's where we can talk about using some of the the GPS data is like you're going to be faster when you're at this body weight or, you know, you're more powerful in the weight room. You move more weight when your soreness is here and when your body weight is here and giving examples like of giving athletes examples of their own data as far as how we do that kind of stuff, I, I think is big. Um, you know, and, and again, readiness versus preparedness on the preparedness side of things. What, what can they expect to handle in camp? What can they expect to handle, handle in the non-conference schedule? What can they expect to handle in the conference schedule? And if you look at college football, people always think of it as like you have your in-season, you have spring ball. But you really, within those two periods, you have probably five seasons. You know, you have that initial camp, then you have your non-conference season, then you have your regular conference season, then you have bowl prep, and then you have spring ball. And really, I think the, the thing that we've noticed is <clears> – <throat> As you look at those data, look at the data as far as what the athletes have to do to be ready. You know, you throw finals in there, you throw midterms. You know, summer is different because they might only have one or two classes, whereas fall they have a full class load, or spring ball they have a full, full class load. Um, and and working on them on that side of things. So those are things that are going to affect their you know their readiness. But you know, sliding back to, prepare, to preparedness is, you know, what can we do in the weight room to make sure that they're able to handle what they're going to expect to, to see on the football field, whether it's practice, you know, I, you know, <laughs> games are important, but you have a month of practice before you have games. So we have to got to make sure we get them ready for camp first. And then on, on top of that, you have, you know, their training age. So are they going to get redshirted? Are they not? Are they able to handle, you know, what, what type of loads are they able to handle and kind of how can we break them down into different levels? Like whether it's the weight room or it's the work that we do outside to, Yes, get them ready to play, but also make sure we're we're only giving them what their training age kind of says that they're allowed for. Right. Yeah, and it's and we got kind of go off that like our level groups, um, and our level groups have been real important here. And it kind of evolved over the ages. You know, before you know when they first got here, there was only a couple levels, and then it's kind of evolved since then. You know, you have your freshman group, your white level group. There's a protocol to leave that, you know, and uh, historically we've kept every single freshman in that group for a year, which has been huge because you get to you get a chance to develop culture, you get a chance to develop technique, you know, so you're not dealing with the same technique issues from a, you know, from a guy for four years. You know, sometimes you'll see a lot of programs, if they have that money guy who comes out of the freshman group, they'll immediately jump them up. Well, here we, we, we've had a pretty good range of keeping those guys in there. And really making sure that they meet those protocols before they move on to, you know, that gold group, which that gold group's 
notorious for higher volume. You see a lot of those guys that are in that group are going to be your, your main special teams guys, your guys who are going to you know, get a lot of playing time on the back end of games. So your guys who are really backing up a lot of your money players. So that group becomes real important as in, you know, it's they're going to, they're your support crew. And so there's a protocol to leave that. Once after you leave that, you kind of move into that green group. And that's the group I'm kind of moving into now. And it's, you know, that historically has been a powerlifting group Coach Caden, you know, now he's up at Indiana, but I've kind of moved into that position when I was here with, you know, kind of understudying Coach Caden in the meathead role, I guess. Uh, (laughs) The the yelling, not so much science as much as these guys, more yelling, you know, music loud. And uh, my background was more Olympic lifting, did a bunch of, you know, Russian style stuff. My old coach was from the USSR, old Boris. um, And, uh, so that's what, you know, that group is, you see guys who need to put on weight, thickness. Uh, we look for, you know, those, uh, we set conference standards. So you're more looking for your conference standard guys, you guys to put on that weight, that size. You get a lot of players, you're going to have more of your O-line, D-line, a uh, couple running backs, your thicker guys, you know. And then after that, it, it moves on to the gray group. And the gray group is, it's historically a lot smarter. It slows down a little bit as in, as in, you know, putting too much volume on somebody, but it's going to speed up. There's a lot more tendos. There's a lot more science in it. There's a lot more uh, programming, you know, for not so much a number, but for uh, a playing, you know, playing reps and stuff. So you don't see, you know, five rep clean maxes anymore. You start seeing more, you know, velocity training and clean, which, which is incredibly, it's a, it's a quick change from green group, but, these are your guys who are going to be your money guys. You're going to see getting three, four years of playing time out of them. Uh, and then you get on to the black group, orange group, which Coach Roof does a fantastic job at. It's more, you know, you get your guys who have been grinding for the last four years, who, you know, your quarterbacks, your beat up guys who don't necessarily need that load on on their spine. And, and it's, it all kind of ends up, whenever you take a step back and you look at it, it's, it's, it pairs up with the science that these guys bring to the table very well. I mean, it's, you, we already kind of knew that we were running a lot here, but then you, you know, bring the science into it. And you kind of see how many explosive figures we actually need. So you increase like your clean volume or your clean poles and stuff. So it's neat seeing, you know, coming into a place where they have an you know, applied performance department as well as this one that uh, that has an effect on things, not just we're just measuring the measure thing, so that's that's been a big big turnaround from other places that I've been at. So. I think the other thing that's kind of neat we talk about like the the white level with our freshman group is we really take our time and, and make it almost like it's almost more like a classroom setting in the weight room for that first month. You know, we're not going to play the music; we're going to slow it down. They may only do four lifts a week, three times a week. Like it might be the same exact exercise. Sets and reps have changed, but we're going to make sure that they have great technique before we do anything. And I think that's the thing that's been neat is the better athletes we get that Coach Browse has brought in over the year, like the more we've slow cooked that group. You know, that used to be six months. You know, you do your, basically your redshirt time, and then when January rolled around, you were back in with everybody else. And now we've done it to the point where look, the more talented you are, the more we slow it down. Now we keep you in there for a full year and really make sure, you know, we keep that thing on simmer just because – the, you know, the ceilings are so big in some of these guys. And 
you know, like if you're if you're going to go potential and you're going to size it, you know, I'm a I'm a 16 ounce water bottle. Some of these guys are gallon jugs, and uh, we want to make sure want to make sure we take our time and and slowly fill up this gallon jug and and make sure we're putting the right stuff in. And I think the other thing is is also teaching them the expectations. You know, we have our five standards and expectations um, that every athlete can rehearse, and that's really regardless of the sport. Um, but also, you know, working with them on the nutrition side of things, helping them know to go, know where to go grocery shopping at, the barber shop, doing laundry, teaching them how to study, teaching them where to sit in class and, and how to introduce themselves and interact and kind of be a part of campus. And then, um, you know, things like we do a, a family reunion in the fall, which I think is neat, where we get all of our, all of our student athletes together, regardless of class, and kind of have a little dinner and a welcome back ceremony. And that kind of brings everybody together trying to get a real real family atmosphere throughout campus so um, it just kind of helps keep everybody tighter and then we, you know we cheering everybody on so it doesn't matter what your sport is we're all repping the BU and making sure we're pulling for the university as a whole so um, you know and then just more on, on the preparedness side of things you know using that catapult stuff like Jake was talking about where making small edits to what we're doing in the weight room but also some small edits to what we're doing outside you know, and it doesn't even take GPS to know this, but, you know, I'm sure we can all guess that an offensive or defensive alignment isn't going to cover as much ground in a practice as, as what a skill guy is. And an intermediate player like a linebacker, or running back, or tight end is going to be somewhere in, in the middle. But each one of these position groups has a unique set of qualities that they have to display on the field. And innately, you know, genetics-wise, they're very gifted. And so they can do a lot of this stuff on their own without our help. What we want to do is is apply this stuff throughout training in the summer, so they can distribute those qualities for a long time and not get tired. You know, at the end of practice and stuff like that, especially with the with the tempo which Coach Bryles works at practice, our, our athletes have to be in shape at a high level in 110 degree Texas heat. So um, that's something you know we're really proud of our guys on is they do a good job being able to to take care of the side of things, you know, really on on the readiness side of things. So what are they prepared to handle? And then also, what are they ready to handle? So readiness is things like body weight, soreness, nutrition, sleep quality, sleep quantity, what type of mood they're in. You know, and, and we've talked about this before, but if an athlete's in a good mood, they will perceive, you know, if you scale a score a practice on, on 1 to 10, they say it's an 8. You know, when you look at the GPS data and you're like, man, that shouldn't have been that hard. And you're on the flip side where they come to practice and they're in a good mood, and they'll perceive that practice as a four, and you look at the GPS data, and you're like, man, that should have been a heck of a lot harder. But again, you look at their mood. and So mood dictates a lot of what these athletes are able to handle. And so as we're creating an environment for practice, we're creating an environment for training, You know, what are we doing to make sure that they're able to practice at a high level? What kind of relationships are we working to build You know, on the times when we're not on the floor training with them? You know, Are we stopping by their locker in the locker room and saying what's up? You know, shooting them a quick text message and, and helping them grow up to be men, uh, you know, young ladies and young men. And, and those are the things that are going to help them overcome the adversity that they're going to see. I think a lot of times as coaches, we're so guarded um, and we want to give off such a tough guy, you know, tough guy, tough coach mentality that our athletes just assume that we're always like this. Like they don't they don't see the ups and the downs and the bumps and the bruises that we go to go through because we're so guarded. And I think sometimes as coaches, if we can show just a little bit of vulnerability or, or openness and say, hey, you know, I've been through this before. I have a friend that's gone through that. And they understand that they're not going through it alone. I mean, right now, a 
third of the population suffers from that depression and anxiety. You know, and, and I guarantee that some of us as coaches, and I know that some of us as athletes. So when these athletes are coming in and, and not having such a great day, are we just going to say, oh, you need to toughen up? Is there a time for that? Absolutely. But maybe we should only say that if we know kind of what's going on in their life and, and helping them through, you know, these problems that they're going to go through because, you know, they may not come from a, a two-parent household. Only, I think, less right now, less than 50% of kids that we see um, come from a, a non-traditional home. So that means less than two parents in the house. And, and that's crazy. So as, as a father figure or a parental figure for our athletes, you know, what are we doing to help them out? Because just running around and telling everybody to, to get tougher doesn't necessarily help the situation. That being said, there is definitely a time and a place for those things, provided that, that we know what's going on. But, um, you know, body weight is a huge deal. Again, going back going back to nutrition on, on the readiness side of things. So they may be prepared to handle something, but that doesn't mean that they're necessarily ready to handle it. You know, on the flip side, they could their readiness could be through the roof and they're sleeping and they're eating well. But let's say they're coming off of an injury. You know, what is their high velocity distance looking like during during the rehab? Uh, are they prepared to handle what their what that position group normally sees in a practice? And if they're not, now their preparedness is an issue. So really, just if you're going to put those two things on a scale and making sure that they're kind of balanced out, I think the, the biggest part of, of the readiness side of things is making sure that we're really kind of getting accurate data. Yeah, just like Coach talked about in, in terms of being around the athletes all the time, it, you know, it, it's it's very important to be with them to develop trust, but it's, it's also important to be near them and around them in different parts of the athletic community so you can create the relationships so they're going to give you viable data. You know, thinking back to three years ago when we started doing some of the things with co collecting data and then when we got our GPS system, um, what we established was um, a process to collect and, and to maintain reliable data. You know, things that were sustainable. We started very small, really simple. And if you look at what we're still doing, you know, it's very, very similar. You know, we've increased the number of athletes that we're monitoring at any given period of time during the year, but it's very similar to what we were doing even three years ago. Um, he talked about kind of being around athletes. In terms of collecting quality data, they have to be able to trust you. So the guys that we have collecting our data, myself, other guys, you know, we're all the time in the locker room. You know, you can't be, we, we're not necessarily hanging out in our office pre-practice. We're in the locker room, cutting up with the guys, helping take body weights, just kind of playing around, you know, um, just different things like that. One of the other things that we work to do is educate our athletes. Coach Kaz is incredible. He, he creates this sense of building your own business as an athlete. So if I have my own business of an athlete and I'm, and I'm my own CEO, I have to be an educated CEO and make good decisions for that company. So we're all the time through different means such as team talks, we'll break our team down at the end of a lift, at the end of a training session, have a, have a quick team talk, um, just being in the locker room talking about different things, showing different readings from what we may have collected data-wise, just educating that athlete, putting the ownership back on those guys. Because a lot of times, um, I've got this crazy theory, Coach, it, it's, I'm going to blow your mind here for a second. So think about a black hole, all right? So a black hole in, the, in outer space, it changes uh, the gravitational pull, and it's, it's almost like a bowling ball on a mattress. So if you put that black hole, which we'll call college athletics, in space, it changes the space-time and distorts that mattress. The same thing happens for our athletes. So a lot of times they can kind of get – um, their time distorted, they can kind of lose track of the reality and knowing what's going on. 
by us being consistent in the locker room in the, in, the, in our new nutrition center here, uh, we can make sure that their time space kind of keeps going on and they're, they're, they're in the up and up. But we do that through collecting viable data, being repeatable in what we do, and just continually trying to educate our athletes to make those good decisions. I like, okay. I like, okay. I like the, I like the black hole analogy. <laughs> is, this uh, first, is this the first time black holes ever been dropped on your podcast? Well, uh, it might be. I mean, it's not as big as Monster Truck. Okay. Monster <laughs> 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 Truck. Uh, for those of you that don't understand Monster Truck that are listening, you should have been at the seminar last year, and you would. <laughs> well, let's let's take two steps back. So, you mentioned, if I counted right, six different levels for the guys in the weight room in training. What would have people? Because I I think a lot of people try to do this, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of people have a very successful plan on paper. But how do you handle situations with those guys that maybe benchmarks aren't reached, but then playing statuses do change? So, like, if you say to go from it was it was yellow to black or green to black, right, was the power lifting to the speed uh, velocity-based one? Uh, go green to gray. Green to gray is that power lifting to speed. Right. But let's say... And you, you mentioned how some of those things were based around um, how active they were in competition. Are they also based on, say, you know, Coach Toff can squat two and a half times his body weight. He's good at, the, at this. Or is it all based on their actual, uh, let's just call it their, their, their playing level on the team? Yeah. And historically, we really haven't had anybody uh, jump too many levels like Thinking of one guy just off the top of my head, um, he's actually just came in, uh, and he is freakish, freakishly strong. Uh, and actually, you know, we I've kind of fought to get him into the green group. Um, there's really no reason he's gonna get playing time. Um, I'm not looking to try to get an 800-pound squat out of him because you know conference standard says that 600-pound squat, you know, is gonna is, you know is is great enough here for us. So. What we're not looking to do is we're not looking to, you know, like he said, we're looking, we're going to slow cook them. And where that kind of comes from, I guess, is the reason they don't jump too often is also we trust our coaches a lot. Um, a guy who's going to get a ton of playing time, say in the gold group, who maybe has been in, you know, was in the white group and got a ton of playing time. Now he's moved to gold group and he's still getting a ton of playing time. I mean, we have great coaches. We have great conversations, too. We'll sit in this same room, or you know, just because you know our place is being dug up right now. But uh, and we'll have great conversations about you know why are you doing this, why are you doing this. So everything I trust everything that Nelly's doing in the green group, and I trust everything that Toff's doing in the gray group. And they trust what I'm going to be doing in the green group. So it allows us to really make sure that these athletes get moved systematically through the process. Um, and, and so, like, whenever we get to it uh, at the end of here, May, you know, I'll be knowing exactly what Gray Group's doing, so my guys can kind of get prepared to move on into that group. And maybe they are in that group only for a block. You know, maybe he's only in the group for the summer. Um, but historically, we ha- haven't had great, uh, great luck with skipping a group. Um, and I think that just comes with the trust of 
and the great conversations we have with our coaches. And I think, you know, just because, you know, somebody's in level two and we, we feel like they're ready for level four or, or they could handle level four doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be like ready for the change. Like the, if you look at like the, I would say the percentage spent in each category. So percentage of time spent on the platform with Olympic lift in, in the, in the gray group, um, doing Olympic lifting, which is the power group, is is a lot more than the percentage of time spent in the squat rack in that group. Now, if you look at if you look at the strength group, it's the exact opposite. So, like the percentage of time spent in each category, whether it's strength, speed, power, changes and morphs based off of that group, um, kind of like a hierarchy of pyramid. Mm-hmm. And so, if you skip a group, um, sometimes it it hurts that progression. And that that really goes back to like the volume calculation stuff we alluded to, where it's like we know like what the norms are for a strength group and what they should be hitting and what percentage of, of the weight room needs to be on the platform doing Olympic lifts and what percentage needs to be on the squat rack or the bench press or doing deadlifts or RDLs. And we have all this stuff um, you know, broken down and, and calculated out so we know that when the groups that are the most successful, this is kind of the sweet spot that this group needs to be in and it allows you to set the stage for the next group if it's done well. So really by taking our time, it, you put them, yeah, you slow cook it on the front end. And as a coach, that's where we have to keep our egos in check and make sure that, you know, we didn't, we have to make sure we go to driver's ed class before we just turn this Ferrari loose. Cause these, I mean, these guys are absolute freaks and we have to make sure they're able to drive this car before we just turn them loose. Um, otherwise we're really kind of putting themselves at a disadvantage. So yeah, they may be incredibly strong, but over time is their technique good enough where they can handle that weight and the accumulation of volume over time. Um, and if it's not, then we have to make sure that we really we really take our time, especially you know, on the front end. We really slow things down on the front end to a point where, and there's some times where our athletes, you know, they wanna jump a group and like I said, physically, could they handle it in the short term? Yes. But again, preparedness versus readiness. If you're coming from a high school or if you're coming from a junior college and you're used to having mom and dad cook all your meals for you, or if you're you know, wherever else and it's a free-for-all, you kind of got to find all your own stuff. Like, are you doing the other things that are going to allow you to handle this loading? So in the strength group, if we have a, a ton of volume with squats, pulls, and presses, you know, that stuff is incredibly taxing on the muscle. You know, are they doing things? Are they eating enough to be able to handle that type of loading? Are they sleeping enough to be able to handle that loading? And the higher up we go, the more taxing it is on the CNS and the more it can really put these guys in the hole if they don't have the proper readiness habits, uh, you know, again, working with Jana um, on the nutrition side of things and taking care of their sleep and managing their stress on the anxiety side of things. So I think, yes, could they jump groups? Absolutely. Have we done it in a couple cases? Yes, we have. But um, long term, what's best for the athlete a lot of times is really slowing that down and making sure that, you know, there's two sides to every coin, right? So. They're here for two hours. What are they doing those other 22 hours? Right. And have the habits been put in place where they can manage that? If yes, then maybe they can handle a jump. Maybe they can handle, you know, skipping two levels. If not, then all that's going to happen is they're going to get hurt because the, the additional CNS taxing and the additional loading from an intensity standpoint, they're not going to be able to handle it over the long haul. There's some opportunities for leadership also in certain groups that may not exist in the, you know, higher management. If you think about it, like the business model we talked about, you know, the, the lower levels, or we'll call them lower levels, that may be middle management. 
So a middle management guy may not be ready to take on the CEO role of that black group. So he's got to be able to admit, and we've done it in the past, here recently we've done it, take a guy back a level to allow him to develop a leadership role and to teach guys. So a guy that may come in mid-semester, he can lead a group that's just coming in because he already knows the ropes. Now that better prepares him for that subsequent semester coming up. So there's a lot of unwritten things associated yeah. with those level groups as well. And I think the other thing is, is it's not like set in stone. Like, do we have standards that, that they need to hit on, on a clean or on bench press or squat to be able to advance? Absolutely. But uh, we have a lot of conversations, like he's saying, as a staff, and they're not all friendly. You know, a lot of times they get heated. Um, but I think that's the cool part of, of working here and working for Coach Kaz is like that sometimes you have like that conflict. Um, it helps, you know, you find out where people stand on things. And if we want to make sure that we exhaust all options and not get cut in a cookie cutter deal. So maybe if programming worked last year, a certain way in the green in the green group or the power group or whatever, but that does not mean that it's going to work this year because we have completely different personnel. So, as in being in charge of a level, are you willing to step outside your comfort zone? Maybe include some different things. You know, if you have an idea for somebody else's group, you know, you need to have enough courage in one of our staff meetings to say, hey, have you thought about this? Have you done that? And so, really, we have you know, people are in, are quote unquote in charge of a level, but it's really a team effort and it really gets. I mean, you get put through the ringer. You put your you put your template up on the TV, and you got you know five, six, seven people that have been coaching for you know combined 15 to 20 years, and they're going to sit up there and poke holes in it. And you better be confident enough in your program to say, no, I'm not going to do that, and this is why I'm doing that. But again, like that's what makes us. I think that's why you know working for Coach Cousin and just the way we structure things and Coach Roof is, you know being able to fight the devil's advocate. And if you can, if you're going to stand up and present something and a thing that we should change it, well, you better thought through this argument all the way through because you're going to get a bunch of questions, not, not to be jerks or not to be funny or not, you know, not to conflict for the sake of conflict. But like, I think a lot of times when you kind of push somebody's buttons or twist them a little bit, that's how you really find out what they stand for. And to me, that's the funnest part is when we get in the meetings and we start programming because you know, as uncomfortable as it's going to be at the time, like when you walk out of there, we will have the best plan down on paper. And we just got to make sure we really put our egos aside while we're in, while we're doing those things. So now looking at it with it all on paper, how pliable, how flexible is it with all of the, the technology and, and the, the data that you guys are pulling? How quickly are you guys to, to make changes, pull back or hit the pedal harder? And, uh, and how does that process work within the staff? I think the higher up the levels are, the more flexibility there is, especially if we, you know, you get to that top level um, where you're looking at guys that are, you know, going to get drafted. They are for sure, you know, two or two year starters, three year starters. They're going to have, there's going to be a little more fluidity and kind of like in the programming that you're going to see the further away you get from that, the less. So, you know, there's got to be a little bit of, I don't really care how you feel today, you're going to do this. Um, just because we have to develop that, that mentality, especially in the younger groups. Um, I think really we do a lot of things on the front end that prevent us from having to be reactive on the back end. Like I really think if you, take your, if you know what camp looks like, then you can take everything back and make sure that your progressions – are added in accordingly. Um, and I think really a, just spending a ton of time on the front end 
prevents you from having to do a lot of work on the back end. I think, you know, deload weeks, I'm not a big fan of deload weeks. And I'm probably going to get killed by your listeners for saying this, but like, to me, I would rather just slow it down a little bit more on the front end, maybe have, I guess, more of like a stabilization load and let the body adapt. Because I just I feel like if you're going to deload, you're really rolling the dice. Because mm-hmm. you, you don't know how the body is going to respond. I think that's one of the neatest things I've learned um, playing with uh, the TMG, the tensiomography, is like, like we really don't know a lot about how the body is going to respond to a bunch of different things. So, you know, you want to cut back volume. Uh, for a quote-unquote deload, I'm on a tangent alert here, <laughs> but uh, as I shift in my chair. Um, but the thing, here's the thing with a deload is, if you're building this volume up to get them ready to hit a certain number or, or a certain norm, so, you know, let's say they have to cover X number of yardage on a basketball court, you know, or this many jumps or this many changes of direction, like, that's great. But, you know, as I build up to this, What's going to happen if I deload? So if they have to be, you know, what's the average of the last couple of weeks of work or what's the average of the last six weeks of work? What does that look like? And if you don't know that number, let me say it like this. What is a deload going to do that number? Is it going to make that number go up or down? down. It's going to make that number go down, right? So you're actually taking yourself further away from that goal number by deloading on something so I think it ends up, it kind of hurts your preparedness in one aspect, but it may help your readiness. I, you know, like, again, I don't, I don't have all the answers. I don't. That's just kind of like the way I look at things is like oh. we have to be careful, you know, um, on deloading things. But, mm-hmm. but, again, like you can't get caught on one side of the spectrum. So, you know, we, we deload them here, but – Maybe they need to be a little bit more fresher, right? We were talking about mood earlier. So maybe this deload allows them to get away from the facility, you know, hang out with their, their family and friends a little bit more, get caught up on score. So maybe that will be a big, big improvement in their mood. So now, yes, are they going to come back and is the load going to be a little bit heavier than what it was when they left because we deloaded? Maybe. But if they're in a better mood like we just talked about, maybe they're going to be more ready to be able to handle that load. So... I think that's the thing that's really cool, you know, working for Coach Bryles is like his innate ability to be able to just kind of feel this and, and manage it. Um, it has been really, really neat to watch. But again, um, deloads, yes, but we, I think, I still think there's so many factors that go into it. I think we're kind of silly if we're just like, oh, well, you know, a five percent drop in intensity, and we're gonna we're gonna drop the volume sixty, or we're gonna drop the volume forty percent. So we're gonna go sixty percent of the volume we did last week and keep the intensity the same, and then kind of cross our fingers. Like, or, or we could be just a little bit slower on the front end, and kind of let give the body a chance to adapt as we go. Then maybe let's just hit a stabilization load where we run week five back and make week five the exact same as week four, and that's enough of the of a chance for the body to kind of let it catch its breath, get its feet back underneath it, and then you kind of push forward. And that way you know you didn't lose any of those other qualities that, right. that you were building towards. I don't, know if that, I don't know if that makes sense at all. but No, 100%, dude. The people I think they're going to end up jumping on that one is, you know, if I was training, you know, specifically for something, I'm going to want to deload off a little bit. You know, Coach Kate used to always deload a little bit. But the big thing with collegiate sports is our deload weeks are almost built in. I mean, if you're looking at the spring, you got Easter break, you have 
spring break, they take those days off. So if we deload a, you know, another week and then they come back for a week and then they go away for spring break, you know, what are you really doing to those athletes? Same thing with the summers. Right down the middle is, is 4th of July. So you know, you're looking at you know, backing off volume at least for a couple of days give them that four-day weekend so they, they are going to get away and right. our D-low weeks are kind of built in and in, 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 in that aspect so yeah. well I think there's a difference though between a D-load and a vacation right. <laughs> you know like like yeah. uh Cal's always talked about you know and, and Buddy mentioned it in the podcast last week where it's you know you beat them up because you know they have a break yeah uh, but I guess the question is is if you're in the middle of training why do you necessarily need a deload, right? Like, if you were manipulating the volumes and intensity so you're building them up properly, shouldn't you just almost be able to keep doing it? Like, if, like so many of us talk about how we slow cook our athletes and we take our time and we, and we do things right, but if we are taking our time and we are moving slow, then it, isn't the whole idea of the deload because we move too far and they're dropping, and now that super compensation has to come up. You know what I'm saying? You know, I think uh, just a perfect example of a friend of mine uh, worked with Special Forces and uh, Navy SEALs, and he talked about, we always talked about Bud's Week. I'm like, how hard is that? He's like, oh, it's really hard. I'm like, so what do you do, like, the week after that? Like, you know, you kind of, like, give him a give him a break or whatnot. He's like, no. He's like, if you look at the grand scheme of things, like, Hell Week is – you know, really just, they always have the saying, like, the easiest day was yesterday, right? Like, they don't, they don't deload those guys because there's a certain level. Things continue to get harder and continue to get harder. And, um, you know, his thing was it's amazing what the body can handle if you appropriately add in the volume and add in the intensity. You know, like, the body is an amazing thing, and it can handle some ridiculous things. And from an adaptation standpoint, as long as these – these volumes and intensities and and the stressor, I guess, is is adequately prescribed with, with an appropriate dosage that the body can adapt to, you know. So then it's really what what percent change from week to week can the body handle and still recover while you're working towards your goal? It's the spikes or the introductory loads is what's the that's why Hell Week is is so you know savage. It, it's the drastic spike and then once it stabilizes. As long as you just slowly creep up, I mean, they're, they're a little yeah. bit more ready for that. No, so was, that's that's an awesome spot, and that's an awesome spot to end at, guys. I really do appreciate your time and this, you know, an intimate look into what you guys are doing. You guys shared a lot with us today, and uh, I hope the listeners take as much from this as I did and, and enjoy this as much as I did because this this was really cool. Thank you so much for being so open and honest, and I really do appreciate it. Appreciate it, Jay. Thank you. Thank hey. you very much. Thanks, guys. This will be up real quick, and uh, we'll be in touch soon, guys. Thanks a lot. All right, thank you. Take care. And a huge thanks to Jacob Miller, Josh Nelson, and Andrew Althoff sitting down and talking with us today. Guys, just awesome stuff. Open and honest sharing, giving us a, a, a look behind the looking glass as to what's going on down there in Baylor. Can't thank them enough for taking the time and sitting down and talking with us and being so open and honest with, with everything that they were sharing with us. As always, guys, with everything we do here, if you enjoyed the talk, please share it in the social media outlet of your choice, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever it may be. We thank you guys for sitting and listening with us today and being a part of everything we're doing here at Central Virginia Sport Performance. We will be back with another awesome guest next week. We will see you then.